0: We found love in a hopeless place. Shine a light through an open door. Love in life. I will divide. We found love in a hopeless place. Everybody wants love and everybody wants grace and everybody wants forgiveness. And everybody wants relationships that are deep, that touch their soul at that deepest place. But how do you get there? What's the the one thing you really need to know about how to get there? At last means a dead end is only the beginning. At last means you need a game plan for the future or next week. At last means God's grace will meet you where you are. At last means you're ready to hear the truth about your relational stuff. At last means you're looking for answers to tough relational questions at last means you want more, you want more. Picked up this interesting book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, facing the complexities of commitment with the wisdom of God. And I have a lot of books, and one of the the questions I get a lot about my books is, did you read every one of these books? Books, and the answer is no. The answer is sometimes I just read the back cover, and this back cover, this back cover really just just gets it, drives it home. I'm tired of listening to sentimental talks on marriage at weddings in church and in Sunday school. Much of what I've heard on the subject has as much depth as a Hallmark card. While marriage has many things, it is anything but sentimental marriage is glorious but hard it's a burning joy and strength and yet it is also blood sweat and tears humbling defeats and exhausting victories no marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true therefore it is not surprising that the only phrase in Paul's famous discourse on marriage in Ephesians 5, that many couples can relate to, is verse 32. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. And so Tim Keller highlights the the struggle, and he highlights the agony and the ecstasy and the mystery. This is a profound mystery. What are you doing with the mystery? How are you letting the mystery surround you? And how are you living in it and moving through it? Kenneth Bergen has this amazing perspective on marriage. She she says, I used to believe that marriage would diminish me, reduce my options, that you had to be someone less to live with someone else, when of course, you have to be someone more. When of course, you have to be someone more. I was reminded of this verse yesterday at the Love and Respect Marriage Retreat in Williamsburg. Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. So Paul kind of says, you're on your own, baby. You're on your own. Thanks for being here, the series is now concluded. You're on your own. You're on your own. You know, we were at the Love and Respect Conference in Williamsburg and it was really interesting and the speaker, Emerson Egerich, was, was eloquent. He was a great speaker and, and he was, you know, explaining men and how they think, he was explaining women and how they think and then once in a while, uh, I noticed that, that his style was, was very much uh, akin to a style that I like a lot, where you throw in a joke every once in a while, kind of just keep moving it along, you know, lighten it up a little bit, throwing a joke here, here and there. So he's telling these jokes, and he's telling these jokes. And then I, I noticed that these are all old jokes. These are all jokes that I used to tell myself. They're just, they're just older than the hills jokes, and, and people are laughing and everything. So he tells a joke, and I, I lean over to Gail. What you have to know about my wife is that she doesn't like jokes. She lets me know this every time I tell a joke. Oh, I don't like jokes. So why do you why do you tell jokes? Don't tell don't tell the joke. I don't I don't like jokes. So I've had this now for 35 years. So he's up there telling jokes and she's she's laughing and he's telling jokes. And so I lean over and I, I whisper into her, her ear. These are really old jokes. And she smiles and she turns to me and she says, yes, he tells them so well. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm at a marriage retreat and right now I need counseling like I'm sitting here in the middle of the I was like, mm, mm. You know, I was ready to walk out, I'm walking out. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this kind of sounds like you're on your own, but you're not, you're not on your own. As we conclude at last, let's talk about Scream Free Marriage. Scream Free Marriage, Calming Down, Growing Up and Getting Closer, was written by a marriage and family therapist, Hal Runkle. He was on the Today Show. Uh, When I saw him on the Today Show, I said, I want to read that book, I want to look at that. I, I called him up, the book hadn't been released yet. Got him on the phone, we talked, and, and he actually sent me a pre-release copy of the book. And, and you, gotta, you gotta love the title. Uh, it's a great title, Scream Free Marriage. And this is how he starts out. Hold on to your present marital state as it is right now. If you're happily or unhappily married, or just beginning to wonder which. If you're single and searching, or single again and searching again, If you're in the process of separation and headed toward divorce, stop what you're doing and just hold on. I believe that the vision for marriage I'm presenting here is so potentially life-changing for you that I'm asking you to cease doing anything further about your situation, at least until you hear me out. What I'm offering here is an invitation to let go of the damaging lies about marriage and then behold some fundamental truths. Let me tell you the whole truth and nothing but. If you're not understanding yourself, you cannot be in connection. There's a lot of talk about connecting, connecting. We're a society that wants connection. But if you're not understanding yourself, you cannot ever really connect. Clear thinking is the first step toward true intimacy. You have to know if you have selfish agendas And what they are. And oftentimes, an unselfish agenda is just a mask covering a selfish agenda. You just try to look unselfish so that you can get something that you want, which is back to being selfish. So the first step in really connecting, the first step in going screen free is Clear thinking, understanding what really is going on inside of you. Remember how Jesus talked about that to the Pharisees? He said, on the outside, you guys look really good. You're like whitewashed tombs on the inside. You are a mess. And that's what this means. If you're not understanding yourself and you're really a mess on the inside, connection isn't even possible. That's the truth. Secondly, it's not what you have in common. It's what you have inside integrity in the midst of change equals a deep lasting marriage. We often talk about how, you know, you want to have things in common, you want to have interests in common, really has nothing to do with that. Those things are good, and then they're certainly not bad. But it's so much more. A marriage that's going to last and go the distance is based upon integrity in the midst of change. It's based upon deep commitment. It's based upon honor. Through the seasons of life, stuff happens. There's so many ups and downs and in-betweens. And so many of us have to go through things that we never planned to go through. We were not prepared for the, the, the relational stuff that showed up that showed up one day when we least expected it to show up or that showed up over a period of time or a number of seasons and all of a sudden we're, we're hitting the wall, we're, we're up against the wall. We don't even know how to get over the wall. The obstacles come, the agonies come, the, the necessary endings come. It's having the commitment, having the honor, having the, the, the sense that God is at work in me somehow even through stuff that right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You see, integrity in the midst of change is more important than what you have in common. The only communication skill you need to learn is authentic self-disclosure, that's the truth. You have to let your spouse know what you really are thinking, what your preferences really are, what your intentions really are. That's a lot of what was described yesterday in love and respect. One of my friends put it this way a long time ago, say what you see, say how you feel. You know, if you say what you see and you say how how you feel, You're always moving in the right direction. You're always moving toward the right place. You're moving toward connection. You're moving toward intimacy. You're moving toward a relationship that can really make a difference. And so often that's where most people are stuck. They aren't saying what they obviously see right in front of them. They aren't saying how they they feel. The only communication skill you really need to learn is authentic self-disclosure. Say what you see say how you feel, it'll move you in the right direction. If you don't, there's loneliness, there's heartache, there's lostness. It's better to get rubbed the wrong way than never to get rubbed at all, says Al Runkle. Conflict is a better path to true intimacy than chilled avoidance. You can learn a lot from conflict. I've talked... you about how at the other side of conflict, there's a hope and a wish. And if you can get to the hope and the wish, you can really learn something. You can really grow. And so often we want to avoid conflicts. We want to go in the opposite direction. The conflict doesn't go away. The conflict sometimes takes on a life of its own or grows. It deepens. It becomes more powerful than it really needs to be. Conflict is a better path true intimacy than chilled avoidance. If you want a warm marriage, you have to walk through fire. There are natural fires of truth that you must walk through and we'll talk about those in just a few minutes. Intimacy always begins with an I. Um, Cloud and Townsend talk about this a lot. You have to have two fully functioning people who always want to be better at being who God made them to be if you have any hope for a relationship. Only with two fully developing, growing eyes is a we even possible. As we get and stay married, we all begin to realize the following. Whoa, my spouse and I are really two very different people. Gail and I, discussed this earlier in our marriage and we came up with a, a terminology. Uh, I am blue-collar, you are white-collar. And and there were real different parameters to to our lifestyles as we grew up that were delineated by blue-collar thinking and white-collar thinking. You know, having grown up in a blue-collar Italian American home, um, you know, we were always, you know, watching every little thing. Uh, that's just how my mother and father lived. They thought, hey, we lived through the Depression, and so we might as well pass it on to you kids. And so, you know, we we're going to go through the Depression, too. Uh, we we're just going through it in the 1950s and 60s. It was it was long over, but no, we we're going to go through it. So my, my dad, he would do these training programs. And he would take a paper towel, uh, and he would use it to dry his hands, and then he would tear it in half, and then he'd have two wet halves of a paper towel, and then he would hang them over the paper towel rack, so that the next time I came up, or anybody else came up, we would take one of the used, dried paper towel halves, and then use that to dry our hands. And this would, we had, we, my whole life, we only had one roll of paper towels. <laughs> uh, and Gail's family, uh, it was their tradition in the white collar, world where you're, you're not really thinking about the paper towels, you know, you're thinking about sailing on the lake, and you're thinking about having a, a nice, you know, lemonade under the uh, umbrella beside the pool, uh, which always, like, annoyed me, you know, she would go to the pool with the kids, and I'd be like, Oh, come on. What are you guys doing? I got the paper towel training now. Come on. It's the paper towel training time. And so, you know, they would go out to the paper towel rack in her family, and they would like, just, they'd just pull it. Like six or eight towels. And I saw this for the first time. I had a heart attack. Oh, that would have got us through a decade. Oh, no. There's just so many different ways that you think we're two really different people. This is harder than I thought it would be. It's mostly harder than we thought it would be because of our because of our brains. Okay? Because of our brains. No comments from women at this time because of our brains. See, men think unilaterally. It's just, it's a physiological thing. You're thinking out of one side of your brain. Mostly, it's the left side. It's sort of like task-oriented, goal-oriented. It can kind of focus on one thing at a time. Women think out of both sides of their brain. They're, They're bilateral. So there's all kinds of stuff going back and forth. Your brain is actually communicating to itself. This never happens in our lives, you know as men. And so, you know, you're thinking about five or six different things at the same time, and then you sort of bring that to us, and then we're going, just go, like, pick one thing, and, and, and then maybe I'll be able to get that, but I can't get, like, six things all at the same time. And this why it's really hard, because the way that our brains are wired up, no matter how hard I try, conflict is unavoidable, and you saw that in the drama this morning it's just it's unavoidable because of the demands that life brings and if I want to see a change here I'm probably going to have to initiate it myself which brings up the question that was brought up so many times yesterday at the marriage retreat so who goes first with this change thing who goes first are you going to make the move or am I going to make the move what if I make the move and you don't make the move But if I make the move, you don't like the move that I make. And you tell me my move is wrong and you have a better move. And so uh, you get into a a who's on first kind of thing and and after a while, you just don't know. And, And what they said over and over again at the retreat was, whoever is the most mature makes the first move. And then you go, oh, okay, I'll make it. Because you're selfish and you want to be seen as the most mature. Let's define screaming. Screaming equals emotional reactions. Screaming is letting our emotions override our clear thinking. Getting emotionally reactive means allowing our worst fears or worries to drive our choices instead of our highest principles. In other words, it's easy to let anxiety crowd out the truths you know. It's easy to let worry, fear, anxiety, crowd out things that you've learned are true, that, that you've learned in Sunday school, or you've learned by reading the Bible. You know these things are true, and you know God wants us. but anxiety sort of drives those away, and you emotionally react, and it's in the emotional reaction. It's in that screaming. It might have nothing to do with, with sound, with decibels. It might have everything to do with the deafening silence of your heart being very anxious which causes you to run away from relationship. In 1 Peter 5, we read these amazing words. All of you, which in the Greek means all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so it's saying, be humble in every circumstance, in every relationship, bring humility and let God do what he needs to do with you and in you and through you. And then this drives it home, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let go of the anxiety. Throw it on him. Get it out of your life. Let your life be rooted and driven by humility. Let faith and life be the tone and the theme of every day of your life. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It doesn't even have to give you a list of anxiety because it says all. Whatever it is, God's waiting for you to throw it his way. You see, screaming usually emerges from our unresolved emotional anxieties. There are three screaming emotional reactions that tend to color our days. We accuse, berate, insult, criticize, belittle, sarcastically mock, and deride each other. And we so ably portray that in the Siri family drama today. It's so easy to go in that direction. We distance ourselves from one, one another. We say, okay, I just can't deal with it anymore. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to shut you out. I'm going to go over here and do my stuff, and I'll tolerate that you go over there and you do your stuff. And in that silence of separation, you are screaming. We live out of an over-functioning, under-functioning behavior pattern, Runkle says, that easily leads into passive-aggressive acting out. That simply means one person in the marriage, one person in the relationship is taking almost 100% of the responsibility to hold the relationship together. So you got one person running hard, running fast, trying to get everything done, trying to keep a semblance of a relationship together, and another person just kind of on cruise control and and content to have the other person be over-functioning, and that's not a relationship. That's just couple of scared people not knowing what to do screaming for help in Psalm 139 we read this search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way read screaming if there's any screaming in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In First Peter, one of my favorite passages, and I read this passage when I, when I do weddings. Finally, all of you, which in the Greek means all of you. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Did you ever notice how most of the sitcoms we watch and a lot of the the movies we we see about relational stuff, it all kind of comes down to people giving insult for insult or repaying evil with evil. And it's sometimes couched in in a laugh track. Uh, we look at ourselves and and we want to laugh and and we see it there portrayed on the big screen or the little screen and and yet it's it's the truth and we we are drawn in because we, we know, I'm just like that, I'm just like that. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. From God's vantage point, it's all about blessing. From the way he sees it, it's all about, let's stop the screaming, let's get to the blessing. So how do you get to the blessing? If you want a warm marriage, you have to walk through fire. There are three natural fires of truth, and they are juxtaposed with three lies that most people believe about marriage. The first lie, spouses are supposed to meet all of each other's emotional needs. This is the equivalent of an immature, adolescent, needy relationship. Spouses are supposed to meet all of each other's emotional needs. It's what what you got married for. It's just a lie. The truth, fire, is we cannot place all of our emotional needs on one person. We can choose to love God, love others, manage time and resources well, and serve in the context of a community. We can choose those things, and everybody gets their needs met in a community. It's the way God designed it. It's the way it was always meant to be. All of your needs are designed to be met. They're designed to be met In community, certainly some of those needs are designed specifically for marriage, but not all of them, and if you're frustrated right now because all your needs aren't getting met by your spouse and you're bringing sort of an anxious, angry agenda and you're screaming about that on the inside and on the outside, it's time to drop it. It's time to take that off the table because it's a lie, don't demand that your spouse meet all your needs, it was not designed to work that way. The second lie: trust and safety are the most important qualities in an intimate marriage. Sounds good. Trust and safety are the most important qualities in an intimate marriage, but it's a lie. The truth fire is: marriage is an adventure. It changes you and makes you better in the process. Runkle states. Although trust and safety may feel nice and certainly have their place as indications of a growing relationship, most people put far too much emphasis on these feelings. This emphasis actually leads couples away from marital bliss and straight toward complacency, entitlement, and boredom. And boredom is a marriage killer. What keeps a marriage breathing in life is adventure and mystery in the form of risk. Nobody likes boredom. Boredom is just a deadening experience. My wife gave Sophia, our five-year-old granddaughter, a phone for Christmas. Who in their right mind would give a five-year-old girl a phone training them early for just talking all the time? And so here... Here it is, here it is. And I, I thought it was clever and cute and wonderful. And so now Sophia calls me the other day. Hi, Grandpa. Hi, hi, Sophia. I'm on my new phone. Oh, that's good. That's good, Sophia. I had a boring day yesterday. And she said it like, yesterday was so boring. And I said, why? Oh, there was no school. Uh, it was, there was nothing to do. I was so bored. Even a, fi- now, now she's very safe. She's the most safe and secure kid I know. Her mom's always there with her. She's got her room set up. She's got her little bookstore thing set up. She just got fish, and, and one of them already died, which is great, because uh, you gotta learn about necessary ending to yo-yo. Boom, there, he's gone. Uh, we, we actually, we buried yo-yo yesterday. I, I presided over the service. and um, So she's got, she is more safe than any kid I know. But safety and security didn't cut it. She was so bored. She wants, she wants adventure, she wants risk. We are designed that way. So when I saw her yesterday, she had all this stuff out on the floor of the living room, all these, she pulled everything out of the kitchen, she had cardboard, she had tape, and and Gail said, Sophia, what are you making? She said, I'm making a machine. And she didn't even know what she was making, but it was an adventure. Everything is out and she's taping things and she's, she's banging things and things are, are happening because by nature, we are really designed that way. And when we only allow for safety and security, we die a little bit on the inside. It takes couples away from marital bliss and straight toward complacency, entitlement and boredom. And boredom is a marriage killer. So what are you gonna do? That's an adventure as a couple. What are you gonna do? It takes a risk. You gotta get outside of your your safety thinking helmet. You've got to go. You know, we could we could go on on a mission trip. We could go to Nicaragua. We could go if Michael goes back to Africa. We could go on a trip to Africa. You think I was was excited the first time I was going to West Africa? I was scared to death, but I knew that the adventure and the risk was worth it all, and I came back changed in so many different ways. And you could go, well, how can we, how can we do that? Well, we might not be able to do it this year, but you might start saving some money so that a year from now, two years from now, you go, there's our adventure fund, and it is now fully funded so we can take the risk and go on the adventure of a lifetime and let God show us something that we could never see. If we only go to Moes after church for lunch, and it's free for the kids, and you know that's our big adventure, Moes. If Moes is your big adventure, you're in big trouble. And there's lots of there's, there's going on a vacation that you've always wanted to go, and you thought go on, and you thought we can never do that. Just figure it out. Do something. Go beyond safety and security. Lie number three. Oneness means having no boundaries, no separation, no individuality, no choice for the sake of truly loving each other. Truth fire. Oneness is built upon a balance of separateness and togetherness. This takes wisdom. Oneness is two people who know their personalities, responsibilities, and gifts and maximize both for each other and the world. Oneness is forged through conflict. True oneness happens in a heart that knows God has a bigger plan than just two people never getting out of each other's sight. For the sake of truly loving each other, oneness is okay in the very earliest stages of the marriage, first three days. After that, you got to make something happen that's bigger than just the two of you just staring into each other's eyes. The truth is that when it comes to marriage, the whole Bible is a marriage manual, not just the marriage sections. And we often go, this section is about marriage. Let's read that, and it's in Ephesians. And this section is about marriage, and, and let's read that. It's in Song of Solomon. And this section is about marriage. The truth is the whole Bible is for marriage. We, we have to realize that marriage is, is people trying to figure out the mystery. And they're trying to do that together, and the Bible is the manual that helps us to figure out the mystery, which is why sometimes you find the marriage stuff that you need in places that don't look, like it's talking about marriage, but it is because it's talking to you. One of my favorite places like that is in James chapter three. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. So a lot of people are saying, hey, I know the right way to live. Hey, I'm, this is the way I'm doing it. Hey, I think things are going pretty great. And, and James is writing, look, if that wisdom is about envy and selfishness, uh, it's really, you better let go of that pretty quick. It's not the, the wisdom that's from heaven. And then he's going to explain the wisdom From heaven. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You have disorder in relationships. You have backbiting in relationships. You have grotesque envy in relationships and um, abundant self centeredness in relationships. Um, It just comes from a wisdom that is a Pseudo wisdom. It's a a phony wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, so here it comes. First of all, pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive. Let me stop right there because this is where you have to see something very important. We've we've argued and argued this for century upon century this idea of submission. Who's supposed to be? Submissive, and obviously, if you hear a, a, a message from Ephesians 5, verse 22, uh, you know, somebody will drive home that wives be submissive to your husbands as to the Lord, and so there it is, right there wives have to be submissive. Let's just end the the questioning. Let's just end the argument. Just all go home now. And if wives will submit, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be better at home. It's going to be better in the world, everywhere. This is the big problem. Wives don't submit. And it's a lie. It's one of the biggest lies you can put out there. And it's epidemic in the church that we still go there. When if you go there and you look at Ephesians 5.22, this is what it says. If you were to just take out that verse, put it in your pocket, and then later look at it. Oh, here's that verse, Ephesians 5.22. Wives to your husbands, as to the Lord. Well, wives what? To your husbands, as to the Lord. Wives cook for your husbands, as to the Lord. Wives love your husbands, as to the Lord. Wives... Sit next to your husband on the couch as to the Lord. You don't know because the word's not there. The word's not there, friends. Never has been, never will be. Sometimes they break the text there. If you have like a study Bible or something, they'll put in a a heading, you know, wives and husbands or, you know, biblical marriage or Christian marriage. The the text, the, the little subheadings, Paul never wrote those. Paul didn't write any subheadings. Those are just put in by folks that are trying to to separate things and and help you understand things. But when they put a a subtext there, a heading in there, they're corrupting Paul's thought process. To get to the word submissive, you have to go to the previous verse. guess what it says? It says, everybody should submit to everybody. That's what it says. Everybody should submit to everybody. And nobody wants to talk about that because it's not popular because we like people to submit to us. Men like women to submit. Women like men to submit. And all of that is a lie. And it all comes down to, are you willing to live your life based on the wisdom from heaven? And the wisdom, if you want to be wise in the way God is wise, then you're going to be pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, to everybody, full of mercy and good fruit, forgiving and doing good things, impartial, no agenda, and sincere, you know, you're bringing it all, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. The whole Bible is for marriage, not just the marriage parts. I used to believe that marriage would diminish me, reduce my options, that you had to be someone less to live with someone else, when, of course, you have to be someone more. But those who marry will face any troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. And even though he would hope to, to spare people from a lot of stress and strain, Paul knew that it was not possible And here's all you need to know. At last means you want more. A screen-free marriage is possible if you want more. Do you want more is the only question. And so last night, as I sat there, I realized that God wanted me to write a letter to him. And so this is what happened. Dear God, I need your help. I'm not everything I could be. Some of that is because I've believed lies. Some of that is because of growing up in a family that didn't know a lot about your unconditional love, forgiveness and grace. Some of that is because I always received applause for doing more stuff, and the applause became addictive. And some of that is because I run fast and become distracted from more important things. I'm a lot like your first two children, seduced by glowing, empty promises. When my life becomes a torrid rush of blurred anxieties, which neither honors you or serves me well, I so often press on toward the not so high calling of insensitivity, but I want more than that. I want so much more than dead ends. I want more than this year's game plan. Today, I ask you to help me listen to you more. Today, I ask you to take the lies out of my brain. Today, I ask you to wrap my heart in your love. Today, I ask you to slow me down. Today, I ask you to forgive me. Today, I ask you for wisdom from above. Today, I ask you to help me grow from conflict. Today, I ask you to help me be someone more. Thanks for never giving up on me. Thanks for meeting the needs of my life with grace. I love you. Marriage is glorious but hard, humbling defeats and exhausting victories. But your scream-free marriage begins. It begins, it will always begin when you want more. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Pull us into the mystery. Drag us through the mystery. Let the mystery pounce on us and surprise us. Let it ambush us in moments when we need so much grace just to get through the next conversation, just to get through the next weekend, the next vacation, the next time we we go to write out all the bills. Let the mystery surround us brother and call us to that place where we really want more all the time each and every day allow us to, to cast all of our anxieties upon you moment by moment allow us to find love in a broken place all the time so heavenly father take us now once again down that road of mystery, Christ and the Church. We love you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.